0: The Bermuda Triangle. I mean, do I really need to say anything else?
1: If you do the crime, you should do the time. But what if you do the crime, but you weren't awake when you do the crime? Should you still do the time? We investigate the legal question, can you be held accountable for what you did when you were sleepwalking?
0: Some of the greatest things in life happen purely by accident. This week, we explore a few world-changing inventions that came about as the result of trying to do something else. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, what is something that you know isn't true? Or at least you're probably sure it isn't true, but there's just enough mystery around it that you still feel a little anxiety. Like, for example, (laughs) there was a movie that was released a few years ago. Okay, And let me say just how unusual it is that I've even seen this movie, because you know me hate horror movies. You're the same way. Jay, it's a movie called The Strangers. Now, surely you haven't seen this movie, but I'm sure you've heard of it.
1: No, I, as previously been stated on this podcast, um... It's been one of our early episodes, but you and I both do the thing where we don't watch horror movies, but we are aficionados of reading the synopsis of horror movies on Wikipedia. Yeah, so I yeah. have read the synopsis of The Strangers, yeah. but I will never watch The Strangers. And I
0: will say, before it went behind a paywall, and we've talked about this on the show in the early days, I used to love going to the, uh, I think it was called When Can I Pee? It was like this app where it would tell you the points in the movie that you can skip for whatever reason. they will tell you what happened. Uh, that was great because then you'd know when the scary parts were coming and you just pretend <laughs> you like don't you look to like hate. a huge
1: wimp in front yeah, of all your friends yeah, you know, yeah. when you jump and stuff.
0: And I tried to use uh, that spoiler site whenever I lost that bet to you a few years ago and went to see it as we've talked about before um, but it was behind the paywall so I had to stay in that little hallway you know, outside the actual theater and just kind of poke around the corner. And if anybody came out, I pretended like I was on my phone, you know, or whatever, like taking an (laughs) important call. Uh, But anyway, uh, spoiler alert, uh, once again, even though The Strangers came out in like 2008, uh, you never know. Spoiler alert on this, okay. Uh, But quickly, here's The Strangers, which I have seen. It's about this couple who goes to a house in a somewhat remote location while on a trip together. And in the middle of the night, three psychopaths, The Strangers. Start terrorizing the couple by trying to get into the house and kill them. That's, that's really the plot. So uh, it's just quality, life-giving cinema, let me tell you. Uh, but anywho, at the end of the movie, the couple asks to the strangers, the couple's like they're like chained to chairs or whatever, they're getting ready to die, why are you doing this to us? And uh, the strangers say, in like the most evil way ever, because you were home. I mean, like really chilling. I saw this in college. So I was, I was a grown man. It's been a long time, but I was a grown man. I ran from my house to my car for, like, three weeks afterward (laughs) because I knew they weren't going to get me, but I also knew that there was a slight chance that they could. So, with all that said, how about you? What's something you know isn't true, but you're still kind of scared of
1: it? I kind of picture that, like, when you walk around your house, you just, like, whip open closets super fast, like, ah, gotcha, (laughs) like, even, like, just to make sure, you know, that there's no, like, serial killer. I, uh... You know, I'm sure every millennial that listens to this can relate to what I'm about to say, but I was uh, sort of subjected to watching the Final Destination movie. And, uh, you know, I saw the scene. I mean, you know the one that I'm talking about. Yeah, Yeah. and so now, yeah, anytime I'm driving behind a log truck, I know it's secure. I know it's not going anywhere, but there's just, and it's not even just a log truck. It's just like anything that's being hauled. It's like I have this alternate sort of flash reality where it's like I picture it just crushing my car, coming through my windshield or whatever. It's a... it's probably going to stick with me for the rest of my life.
0: I still think it's kind of valid. It could happen. But Jay, <laughs> uh, something that has always kind of made me feel this way is the Bermuda Triangle. Like, I know that it can't be real, but still, it could be. It came out of somewhere, right? A source of interest for sailors, researchers, and internet sleuths The Bermuda Triangle is a 500,000-square-mile section of the Atlantic Ocean referred to as a triangle because its borders are built around Miami, Puerto Rico, and the island of Bermuda. Reports of bizarre and unexplainable activity in the area date all the way back to the days of Christopher Columbus, who reported that his compass went haywire in the area while traveling to the New World. But, Jay, the Triangle really earned its reputation after a string of unexplained disappearances happened during the 20th century. One of the most famous incidents was the disappearance of Flight 19 in 1945. Flight 19 was a group of five U.S. Navy torpedo bombers that vanished during a training mission over the Bermuda Triangle. Despite extensive search efforts, no trace of the planes or crew was ever found. Another incident happened in 1963, when the SS Marine Super Queen sank near Key West, Florida. Life preservers and other items were eventually found, but the crew and the wreckage never were. But Jay, aside from those two, much of the legend around the Bermuda Triangle has been found through the years to be exaggerated or just completely made up. In fact, according to our friends at the History Channel, incidents in the area aren't any higher than any other somewhat heavily trafficked ocean area. Theories about the triangle, though, abound. Everything from it being a portal to an alien dimension to a supposed underwater crystal that causes illness and disrupts navigation equipment. But Jay, the real reason for the so-called mysteries, well, I, I hate to break it to you, but it's a lot less, well, interesting. The area is prone to sudden and violent storms. And also the power of the Gulf Stream currents, well, they've disrupted navigation equipment for years to the point of malfunction in many cases. Regardless, though, Jay, there's something just powerful about our imaginations, and I don't think I'd willingly go across the triangle. I don't care what kind of proof we have. How about you? You up for a deep sea adventure or not?
1: (laughs) Uh, I mean, the deep sea is scarier than any conspiracy that anyone could ever uh, <laughs> knit together. But, you know, this is going to be devastating for conspiracy theory Facebook when they hear this. I mean, how are they going to react to the news that it's just storms or whatever? I know I hate to be the
0: person that's breaking <laughs> that news to them. I will say, though, in thinking about the deep sea, uh, we were watching Finding Nemo, uh, my sons and I. And there's a uh, in the first one, there's an angler fish, which has got to be the scariest fish. Yeah, it's got that little light and all those teeth. It's nuts, man! Everything about the anglerfish is insane. Just go look it up. We, we, I, maybe I should do a segment on the anglerfish because <laughs> everything about it, I'm telling you, is crazy. Like when they mate, they just stick together forever. I don't forever, think I'm ever ever. I think it's forever. I think that's true. I have to have to confirm. <laughs> like a Lego, just throwing things out there. A just permanent <laughs> Lego. <laughs> I just throwing it out. Yeah. That's true. That's a hundred percent
1: true. No, you know what? Don't even look it up. Just take it at face value. <laughs> so, Dave, you and I have known each other for a long time, and there have been a few occasions throughout our history where we may be like traveling together to visit a friend out of town or something like that, and they only have like one guest bedroom. And any time these types of situations have come up, and it's only been a handful of times, but you have blatantly refused to sleep in the same bed as me, almost like aggressively so, to where I've had to sleep on couches, floors, because you always have to
0: have the bed. But uh, what's the deal? Do you want to try to defend yourself? You make it sound like it's a snobbish thing, and that's a great narrative that you're writing. Uh, but the truth is, it's based on experience. So I have slept in a bed with you, and it was one of the worst weekends of my life because you <laughs> you moved, you snore really loud, you elbowed me in the face. One of the nights I woke up, you were you were hugging me as tight as possible. <laughs> well, uh, it's a horrible experience, so I'm just not interested in doing it again. Well,
1: I cannot be held accountable for the things that I do in my sleep, and we're about to <laughs> see if. I could be held accountable from a legal perspective if I did anything in my sleep. But Dave, if you have ever woke up in the middle of the night and found yourself kind of standing in a strange place or doing something unusual without any memory of how you got there, you may have experienced sleepwalking, a parasomnia disorder that affects only about 4% of adults. And while sleepwalking, it's usually harmless. In rare cases, it can actually lead to dangerous or even criminal behavior. So Dave, this raises the question, if you commit a crime while sleepwalking, can you be held legally responsible for? your actions? The answer is, as with most legal questions, well, it It depends. depends, In general, criminal law requires that a person have a guilty mind and a criminal act in order to be convicted of a crime. However, if a person commits a crime while they are not conscious or aware of their actions, they may not have the required mental capacity or state to be held responsible for those actions. The law recognizes this and has developed a legal defense known as automatism, which applies when a person commits a criminal act without conscious control or awareness. Automatism can arise from a number of causes, including sleepwalking, epilepsy, or even a reaction to medication. If a person can successfully argue that their actions were the result of automatism, they may be found not guilty of the crime. But, Dave, proving that a person was truly sleepwalking or experiencing automatism at the time of a crime can be really difficult. In most cases, the burden of proof falls on the defendant, who must show that they had no control over their actions at the time of the offense. This can be a challenge, as the legal system often assumes that people are responsible for their actions, regardless of their state of mind. Dave, there have been a number of interesting court cases involving sleepwalking over the years. In one case from 1846, Albert Terrell was acquitted of murder after he killed his wife while sleepwalking, evidently the first time in legal U.S. history that someone was acquitted due to sleepwalking. The court found that he was not conscious or aware of his actions at the time of the offense and therefore could not be held responsible for the crime. More recently, in 1991, a Canadian man named Kenneth Parks drove 14 miles to his in-law's house while sleepwalking and attacked them with a tire iron, killing his mother-in-law and injuring his father-in-law. And they've got this... Parks was acquitted of murder after his defense team successfully argued that he had been sleepwalking at the time of the attack.
0: He probably stopped and got gas too. Well, how
1: else are you going to get there? (laughs) But, Dave, not all cases involving sleepwalking have resulted in acquittal. In 2009, a man in England was convicted of sexually assaulting a teenage girl while he was sleepwalking. The court found that the man's actions had been voluntary despite the fact that he was not conscious at the time. Another case involves Scott Folleter, who was convicted of killing his wife by stabbing her 44 times in 1997. Folleter claimed that he was sleepwalking at the time of the murder and had no recollection of the event. However, his claims were not accepted by the court, and he was convicted of first-degree murder. The court concluded that Folter's actions were too complex and purposeful to be the result of sleepwalking. So, Dave, while it's possible to be found not guilty of a crime while sleepwalking or experiencing other forms of automatism, it is not a guarantee. Each case is pretty unique and will depend on a variety of factors, including the individual's history of sleepwalking, the nature of the crime, and the evidence presented in
0: court. Makes total sense. Uh, I mean, his actions were too too complicated. He stabbed her 44 times. Not driving a car 14 (laughs) times, that's not too complicated, but stabbing somebody 44 times is. Uh, I don't know about you when it comes to sleeping, by the way, but I've always heard that you should never wake a sleepwalking person. Uh, According to Northwestern Medicine myth, you should wake a sleepwalking person. Yeah, they might try to stab 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 you you 44 times or attack
1: you with a tire iron, so you should definitely wake a sleepwalker. (laughs)
0: Jay, and finally, uh, looking back when I was a kid, I would watch some very strange shows. (laughs) Okay, like children's TV in the early 90s was full of weird stuff. Okay, you had like Barney the Dinosaur, an especially insane variety show on Nickelodeon called Wienerville in 1993. Do you remember that show? (laughs) This is like a Mandela effect thing. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, basically, the guy who created it and starred in it was named Mark Wiener. And so it was just called Wienerville. It had like these weird little puppets, and he would... I don't think there was even a plot to it, <laughs> but that was an actual show. That was on Nickelodeon. But I also watched some children's art shows. Okay, there was a show uh, with an artist. I think he was a cowboy. Maybe he was like a grandpa cowboy named Pappy. Pappy's Art Hour. Uh I especially like that one. Man, what kind of TV did you all have up there? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard of any of this stuff. Wienerville, Pappy's Art Hour. <laughs> <laughs> well a show i'm sure you've heard of was bob ross the legendary artist bob ross a lot of kids learn yes. to paint whether good or bad from bob ross famous for his hair his trees and his commitment to using happy little accidents the phrase for 30 minutes ross taught a generation to use paint how about you jay what were some kids' shows that came to mind obviously not wienerville or pappy's art hour
1: yeah um the show that immediately came to mind was that show Dinosaurs. Do you remember that show? It was kind of yeah, like a Yeah, it was like a
0: dinosaur version of the show Family Matters. Man, I, I
1: watched some scenes of that show, again, like on YouTube or something, just recently, and it's such a bizarre show. Like, I know you probably, if you watched it, you probably have, like, positive memories of it. You're like, oh, he's talking crap on dinosaurs. I, I'm not, it's just, it's a weird show. Like, it, it had weird plot points. It had weird, like, dialogue. Yeah, I actually wasn't allowed to watch it, so I... I oh, you're gonna pull one of those? You're gonna act it. like I was in a house <laughs> sin, and you were, <laughs> you're like, we were only reading books uh, uh, in
0: trees at my house. We weren't watching filth. Well, Jay, in the Bob Ross vein of happy accidents, this week we're actually not talking about kids' shows as much as I love to talk about those things. We're actually going to take a look at some inventions that changed the world that were happy little accidents. The first one, penicillin. Jay, the world's first antibiotic, more or less, came about because of a messy workplace. In 1928, London-based bacteriologist Alexander Fleming returned from vacation to discover that one of his petri dishes had some mold growing in it due to unintended cross-contamination, you know, as one does. Upon closer examination, though, Fleming realized that the area outside of the mold was free of any bacteria. Unsure of its potential use at the time, Fleming published a paper about it and then just kind of moved on. It wasn't until a decade later that chemists at Oxford University read the paper and turned it into an actual medicine. Today, penicillin is the most commonly used antibiotic in the entire world. Next, Jay, we'll look at the smoke detector. In the 1930s, Swiss physicist Walter Jaeger was trying to invent a sensor that could detect poisonous gas. Well, while it didn't do that, his sensor did detect something else the smoke from his cigarettes. Beginning in the 1950s, smoke detectors were installed in industrial spaces and moved into the consumer house market in the 1970s. Today, nine out of ten homes have smoke detectors, with probably at least three of those ten currently dealing with that annoying low battery beep. Jay, another accidental invention, Velcro. In 1941, a Swiss engineer by the name of George de Mistral was simply on a walk with his dog when he noticed that some tiny barbs had attached to his dog's fur. Fascinated by their sticking power, he began a decade-long journey to create what we now know as Velcro. While it took a while for the masses to use Velcro, it did not take long for NASA to take notice. In fact, NASA uses it so often that originally most folks thought that it was a NASA creation. And Jay, finally, our last accidental invention has become one of the most popular things in the world, Coca-Cola. In 1866, pharmacist John Pemberton set out to create an opiate-free painkiller. His first product, Pemberton's French Wine Coca, how about that for a name, contained many things that you won't find in today's version of Coke, including alcohol, but it all led to an 1886 version that would become the basis of the fountain drink. Unfortunately, though, Jay, poor Pimby, as I'm sure he was called, never found that opiate-free painkiller and died in extreme poverty just two years after inventing Coke. So he never actually got to profit from its insane popularity. A couple other little accidents, by the way, things that came about on, uh, on accident. The slinky, Play-Doh, Post-it notes, and somehow the chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> well...
1: I'm on the IMDb page. I am listening to you, but I'm on the IMDb page for Pappy Land, is what it was called. Uh, 1996 through 1999, Pappy Druitt teaches dance, song, and life lessons to children while they learn the appreciation of art. And uh, you know, Pappy Drewitt still on Instagram, by the way, if you're interested, uh, at Pappy
0: Druitt. Well, there so, you go. Is it the original Pappy? Um, Is he still kicking. You know, it's that's,
1: I'm not the right person to answer that question, but uh, yeah, it says. I mean, it says the official page of Pappy Drewitt from the hit children's show Pappyland. He's only got 484 followers though, so you know he's got to raise his <laughs> internet profile a little bit, I think. <laughs> and he's only got like eight posts. So,
0: and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, CommuteThePodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Salmons For j and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Recently? I probably bought a medium tank top. Yeah, I bought one last year. I think that actually the tank top that I'm missing that looks like the one you're wearing No, I bought is this, a medium.
1: I bought this from Dick's Sporting Goods for myself. Well, show me the receipts. I, <laughs> I remember exactly when I bought it too. I bought it the day before the 4th of July race. Not this past year, but the year before that.
0: All I'm saying is I have that exact tank top and I can't find it. And I'll show you
1: a picture of me in the tank top from the July 4th race. when I wore it the next day.
0: From last year? Maybe it was the year before. Well, I've probably been missing that tank top for going on two years.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're really good about just writing the narrative as I give you the details.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I have been, I really am missing that tank top. I'm not saying you stole it. Well, you kind of are, but. Well, you draw your own conclusion.